From Women, Food, and Agriculture Network, I'm Ash Bruxford, and this is the Plate to Politics podcast. Plate to Politics is WFAN's nationwide effort to support and strengthen the leadership role of women transforming our food system, from the federal agriculture policy agenda to what's on our family's dinner plate. This podcast provides audio leadership training to women engaged in healthy food and farming. You can download the resources mentioned in this podcast at wfan.org slash plate to politics. This is part two in a two-part series on Lead Your USDA. In this podcast, we have a few speakers lined up to talk about their experiences in different leadership roles in USDA. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would encourage you to do so as it gives a little bit more context for what some of the different leadership roles within USDA are, and then come back here and listen to some of these women's firsthand experiences. Thanks to Sarah for pulling together a few women to share their experiences in leadership in USDA and uh, for all of the women who are joining us to share their experiences so that other women can be inspired by learning how to lead in their own communities. Uh, So with that, I'll go ahead and hand it over to Sarah to give introductions. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Campbell with the Farm Service Agency at USDA. I am a customer service specialist here at USDA, so I focus on customer experience, stakeholder engagement, and also customer advocacy. Uh, We will be hearing from three different women who have served in various roles at USDA. We have Carrie Wilfert from Wilfert Farms, Patty Edelberg uh, from Front Page Holsteins, and Tracy Fab from QAI International. We're going to take some time here to actually hear from farmers and women in the agricultural industry who have filled some of these roles and who can share their experience with you and tell you their story from their own perspective. Um, So I'm just going to go around and ask you to introduce yourself and where you're from and what type of farm you have or what part of the agricultural industry you're involved in. Terry, can you kick us off? Sure. Um, I'm Carrie Wilford, and I'm from Two Rivers, Wisconsin, which is located in Manitowoc County, um, right on Lake Michigan. We're about 25 miles south of Green Bay, if that gives you a better idea of where we're at. Um, We farm between 650 and 700 acres um, of soybeans, winter wheat, uh, corn for grain, and then we raise vegetables. We do carrots for processing and fresh market vegetables. Right now we're in the middle of our strawberry season where we do you pick strawberries. Um, we've got, you know, other, we probably do 30 other vegetables. I always say everything from asparagus to zucchini. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm. I actually have a dairy science degree from UW-Madison. Never thought I'd be raising vegetables for a living. So that was uh, a new experience for me, but I saw a lot of similarities, even though there's a lot of differences when it comes to soil types and, you know, looking at nutrient management plans and everything that goes along with that. So um, a pretty diverse operation um, here in Northeast Wisconsin. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for being with us. Um, Patty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Hi. Um, Yes, my name is Patty Edelberg. 
and I actually have a dairy farm in central Wisconsin. My husband and I uh, bought our farm just 10 years ago, June 1st of 2008. We bought a 120, or bought a, I guess we own like 40 acres on the whole farm, but we run about 350 acres, uh, just shy of 400 acres um, for alfalfa and for, and for um, haylage and corn silage, basically uh, alfalfa and corn. Uh, we milk about 120 cows and raise just as many heifers. So we are, we're new to the dairy industry as owners, but I grew up on a dairy farm, um, lived on a dairy farm my entire life, worked on a dairy farm after college. Um, went to college in the University of Wisconsin, River Falls, uh, got an animal science degree. So we actually started our, our use of uh, FSA back in 2004 when we started buying cows. Um, we got a loan from FSA to buy cows, to buy uh, just a handful, had them, had them housed at a different facility, uh, and continue to use FSA loans when we bought, actually bought our farm and started, you know, buying more cows. So that's kind of our farming background. But I've been on the I've been on the Wisconsin Farmers Union State Board. I was on for about 12 years, uh, and then from there I was on the uh, state committee for the Farm Service Agency, and then again as the state director for the Farm Service Agency in Wisconsin. Uh, so, uh, and now I'm actually serving as the national uh, national vice president of the National Farmers Union. So. I've been involved in a lot of things uh, politically when it comes to um, leadership, you know, uh, as far as uh, getting getting your voice out there for agriculture. Um, definitely involved in the farm. I think I'm more busy now than I was when I was state director. So it's amazing how much more stuff you get involved in. Uh, once you're involved, people keep asking you to be more involved in everything else. So uh, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun things to be done with uh, FSA and different agencies with the USDA. Thanks. Sounds very busy. So thank you for taking the time today. And then uh, Tracy. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I guess I'm a little bit of the outlier here because I have come to this industry from a little bit of a different angle. Um, my husband and I do have a small farm here in north central Texas where I live, but I don't farm as an occupation. I'm actually the Global Director of Certification Services for Quality Assurance International. We're an organic certifier accredited under the USDA National Organic Program. And my entry into agriculture started after a long career as an environmental engineer, <clears throat> followed by a master's degree in sustainable development with emphasis in agriculture. And I was working in sustainable agriculture for a nonprofit uh, out of Albuquerque, training farmers and ranchers on sustainable pasture management. And from that, I uh, was doing some consulting work in the organic industry. And as part of that, that client, uh, the organic client, approached me about serving on the National Organic Standards Board. And the National Organic Standards Board is a federal advisory committee that advises the Secretary of Agriculture on uh, all things around organic production under the USDA program. And that uh, federal advisory committee is made up of 15 members. <clears throat> and there's actually different stakeholder groups represented by those members. And one of those is an environmental or natural resource background. And so my uh, organic client approached me knowing I had been an environmental engineer for 20 years and said, hey, we want you uh, to throw your hat in the ring here. And so I was appointed to that board and had served for my five-year term on the National Organic Standards Board. So uh, 
from my time on that board, I became an organic inspector, an independent organic inspector working for various certifiers around the country. And then that turned into my role here at QAI. So while I do have a farm, it's not a large scale farm, it's only about 10 acres. We run um, a heritage uh, conservation breeding of registered flock of um, hair sheep. We also do free range chickens and we have a fig and a peach orchard. And we uh, also have a market garden and we do sell at the local farmer's market. Thanks, Tracy. I love hearing about everyone's diverse backgrounds. And uh, so now we're gonna ask you all some questions and I'm gonna start with Terry, because um, you are a current county committee member. Um, but if Correct. you could talk a little bit about what that role entails and the types of decisions or recommendations that you make. Okay. Um, I've actually started on our county committee as a minority advisor um, at least 10 years ago because I am just finishing my last term. Um, you're, you can do three three-year terms consecutively and I was a minority advisor for I think it was two years prior to that. So um, I've been our county chairperson the last three years and a lot of the decisions that that we end up making are um, uh, when people have um, losses through the livestock indemnity program, if it's related to weather issues, you know, looking at the documentation and did it meet the requirements, um, map coverage for your specialty vegetables, um, if the fall, you know, if all the paperwork has been turned in, we've dealt with disciplinary issues of employees. Um, so it's kind of a, a whole, uh, a variety of, of issues that come up um, throughout the year. Um, we look at CRP violations, um, make decisions as to what the penalty should be, the amount of the penalty. And in some things we are, we feel like our hands are kind of tied as to what type of decision we can make. So it's just a matter of talking through you know, the severity of issues and what can be changed, what we can do, what we can't do. And our um, uh, COC, our chief person, um, I can't, anyway, Tom is, does a very, very good job of, of giving us the, the rules that we have to abide by when we're looking at the various programs. Um, you know, it just, he does a good job of keeping us informed of programs that sign-up periods, when things are coming up, what we need to be looking for, and really good at advising us and our role. We have not had to do an interview process to replace our county, um, our COC. You know, at this point, we've been fortunate to have them around for a number of years, but I know that is another role that the county committee has is in hiring and replacing, you know, that main person when they leave. Um, so just a wide, wide variety of, of jobs that it entails. And Patty, um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about you know, your role as an SED and then also serving on the state committee, kind of what was entailed and you know, 
in, in both of those positions. Sure. So the state committee, I spent more time on the state committee. I was appointed back in 2000, 2010, and I was there through um, beginning of beginning of 2016. So uh, much of what Carrie said that they do on the county committee, uh, we oversee a lot of that on the, at the state committee as well. So whenever there's a lot of it's the the grievance process, I guess you could call it. There's if the county committee uh, disapproves uh, any type of um, program program answer you know if the farmer comes in and and uh is trying to get um trying to get a, a specific program payment uh from a specific program in the in the program and they were denied um whether they were late filing it or whether were they were um just missed missed deadlines or whatever the case would could be the county committee uh, often had to like Carrie said, you have to follow the guidelines. They often had to disapprove it. So then them came to the state committee. Um, on the state committee, we get a little more, uh, little more leeway. We could say we could, we ask a few more questions. We have a little more background that we could look into. And on the state committee, we can decide one way or the other if, if we can approve or disapprove uh, the farmer's request uh, to be accepted into the program. But that's just, you know, that's one side of the thing. We also, as a state committee, we hired a lot of the cops, the county office trainees that would eventually be county directors in each of the counties. Uh, we did, we approved um, county yields for different programs. We approved uh, NAP yields for uh, for the NAP program. Uh, and we also did a lot of work when it came to the to the counties and and helping the helping the state office uh, look at. Uh, if we had if we lost a county director if a county director uh, retired or resigned uh, we often didn't have another county director to fill um, uh, county directors as is, is if anybody's worked in, in with the fsa they realize that uh, county director spots are not always easy to fill uh, there's not always a lot of people that can they have to go through a process a whole program for, a, a, for quite some time before they can fill that program um, so we we often had to look at county boundaries and uh, decide if we could put counties together. We couldn't co close county offices, but we could decide if we wanted to put counties together, things like that. So we did a lot of administrative stuff, um, help, the, help the administrator or help the um, state director do some administrating things. So when I became state director, that was, uh, I didn't realize it was, it was much more uh, work as, a, as administration than it was on a lot of other things. So the whole, the whole program, uh, you as a state director, you're overseeing everything, farm programs, farm loans. As a state committee, you're uh, actually just overseeing farm programs. So, so there's a lot more uh, learning process as a state director, um, but it was something that I absolutely uh, enjoy doing and would you know, con you know, consider telling anybody to try for it. You know, if it's something that they're interested in, I would absolutely say uh, run for either one of the positions. Thanks, Patty. Um, and Tracy, I know your role is a little bit different as the chair of the National Organic Standards Board. Can you talk a little bit more about that role um, as, a, as a former chair and how you got into that, and then also more specifically about what kind of decisions and recommendations you made? Uh, sure. So um, I served as chair the last year out of my five-year term, and prior to that, I served as a general board member for the first year, and then I was a subcommittee chair for the livestock uh, 
subcommittee. And um, in my fourth year, I was the vice chair, which was an elected position, and then finally uh, finished my term as chair. So the, the whole time, um, the role of the National Organic Standards Board, or NOSB, is really to uh, do two major things. The first one is to look at petitioned materials as they come before the board, and those are petitioned from a variety of sources, industry, farmers, uh, food processors, manufacturers, etc. And then those are divvied out to the subcommittees depending on what the material is. If it's for livestock, um, healthcare or something, it goes to livestock. If it's for um, food manufacturing goes to the handling subcommittee and so on. And then within those subcommittees, that's where the bulk of the work of the board is actually done. So the materials are reviewed. Um, they go through an extensive screening and scrutiny and analysis process by the committee. Um, usually a material is, well, a, a, a material is assigned to an individual on that in that subcommittee. They take the lead. They essentially write a proposal that then comes back to the subcommittee for debate during um, our twice a month uh, conference calls. And then that committee votes on the proposal. It then goes before the whole board of the 15 members. And so as subcommittee chair, um, at, well, as a member of the board, my job was to do a lot of review, um, you know, serve the board as a whole. As a subcommittee chair, I still had that responsibility for reviewing materials, and, and we also developed policy around organic production practices as well. And, but my job was also to manage, or manage and facilitate our twice-a-month calls as well as set the agenda for the subcommittee. And then as vice chair, um, I retained my subcommittee um, chairmanship for that year, but also act, acted as the second to the board chair and served on the executive subcommittee. And that executive subcommittee actually elevated the conversation amongst all the subcommittee chairs as well as the National Organic Program staff or the NOP staff. And we would set agendas for board meetings. Uh, the board met in person as a whole twice a year and um, presented and uh, published our proposals that would then go to the whole board for a vote during those twice yearly meetings. So kind of escalating and elevating up through the ranks of the, um, the National Organic Standards Board. In my final role the last year as chair, um, certainly I got a good look at what the chair's role was as vice chair because I attended all the same uh, executive subcommittee meetings. I interacted with the, the uh, National Organic Program staff. Um, I collaborated very closely with the, the board chair and we helped set agendas for the board meetings. So when I stepped in the role as chair, I'd had a little bit of a year of on the ground training to see what the role was going to be like and that was super helpful. And then as chair, um, I again continued to chair the executive subcommittee. I had uh, once a month calls with the deputy administrator for the National Organic Program, who was Miles McAvoy at the time, and worked with him and uh, Paul Lewis, who's the standards um, uh, director for the National Organic Program. And we actually helped set the agenda as a whole for the board 
and worked with the National Organic Program to make sure that the board was working on activities that were a priority to the program and the USDA, as well as to convey uh, priorities that had been brought to us by stakeholders in the organic community. So it was a it was a very collaborative process. Um, my role as chair was to basically um, be the conduit for conveying the board's requests uh, and um, recommendations for um, programs that we should tackle, as well as set the agenda for those board meetings. So very close contact with the National Organic Program staff. Literally probably talk to uh, the program staff, our support staff, um, maybe every day, certainly every week over the course of that year. And um, then also presided over those board meetings that were face-to-face, -face, which were typically three days long. And presiding over that meeting was um, uh, interesting because we followed sort of a hybrid Robert's Rule of Order. So it was a very structured meeting, but we also had to leave room for um, debate and discussion. So it certainly was a great opportunity to get some on-the-ground experience about facilitating uh, conversations among diverse stakeholders. So it was a great opportunity. Um, the kinds of things that we dealt with, like I said, were some materials. Um, that is one of the major responsibilities of that board as a whole is to uh, evaluate and vote on and, or approve materials for use in organic operation or conversely prohibit materials from use. But we also looked at things um, that were sort of bigger picture issues in the organic industry and included things like excluded methods, which is organic speak for GMOs and their influence in organic agriculture. We looked at things like uh, policies around communication with the public and getting input from organic stakeholders in the organic industry and the community. Um, in livestock, we looked at um, animal welfare standards. Um, so anything that the, the purview for the National Organic Standards Board has statutory authority under the Organic Foods Production Act to bring forward issues of interest or concern to the Secretary of Agriculture. And, the, and we do that actually through the vehicle of the National Organic Program staff. So it was a really great opportunity. Um, particularly around building consensus amongst diverse stakeholders. So great time, great opportunity. Thanks for sharing. It also sounds pretty technical, but that is really interesting and a really critical role. Um, my next question is for Terry. Um, I'm curious what you mentioned that you were the minority advisor. Uh, that was the role that you filled, and now you're also on TOC. What motivated you and how did you get involved? Um, actually, I, when I became the minority advisor, I happened to see a little newspaper article where they were, every year they put out a little article or, or blip about looking for minority advisors to serve on the county committee. And what the minority advisor is, is somebody that serves as a representative of the minority producers in the county and it could be um, or minority or underserved producers so it could be females it could be other ethnicity, ethnic, 
ethnic. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> I can't get the word out. <laughs> um, like the Hmong community or the Hispanic community, or if you had, you know, um, a large Amish community um, in your area to have a voice for those groups on your county committee. Um, so I happened to see that in the in the paper, and I thought that could be interesting to be on that committee because of being a female and being that we were in the vegetable industry and our county is is one of the top producing dairy counties in the state, um, very heavy in the dairy industry. And so I just felt that would be, you know, a good opportunity to be able to give some input into um, some of the diverse agricultural operations in our county. I mean, because, you know, actually everything starts at the county level. And our county is divided into three different areas. And so we are in the northern part of the county. We've got some different soil types and, and um, sometimes climate issues to deal with than other parts of the county because of our close proximity to Lake Michigan. And I just felt that would be, you know, that I could help, that I could give some input, being that I had the dairy background and growing up on a dairy farm, but then now being in, a, in a, the vegetable industry. So. Um, put in, uh, had to send a letter in, put in an application, and, and got accepted to be on the county committee as a minority advisor. And at the time, there were three other males on the county committee. So it was um, interesting to be there as a female and be able to give another perspective. And as a minority advisor, you don't have voting rights, but you are able to give input and have discussion to help the the people that were voted on to be able to make a um, uh, a good decision on something. So, and then after being in that role for two years, the the representative from our from my area, when that area came up for election again, um, I was asked if I would be interested in considered considering to run for that elected position. So I did, and um, the, like I said, I am finishing the last. My last, I you bring a lot of perspective to the the county committee that you serve mm -hmm. on. Um, what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned serving on the county committee? The most surprising thing sometimes is um, some of the when when you're looking at some of the programs, they you know you look at them and you wonder how. They came up with the program, why it's run the way it is, because sometimes you see things that could be better, could be run better. And so, you know, it's interesting that if, you know, you can give some comments and input in order to try to to make some changes in it. Um, and it's interesting to see how in a small area you can have such a diverse um, egg from one end of a county to another. Um, so it's, I didn't know a lot about the, the county committees when I started. So it was, it was a big learning curve and I feel like I'm still learning after being there for 11, 12 years. So it, it's, and everybody is just very willing to answer questions and very helpful. So which, you know, I, when you see some people that have issues or whatever in, in trying to 
to work through them, you know, and everybody being very, very good at being able to look at all sides and, and from all different perspectives and to be able to come up with a, with a consensus. I mean, where you're never going to agree on things totally, but if you can come to a consensus, you know, and it's so, you know, it's that part of it's been very interesting as well. I think it's good to be able to give input from, you know, females sometimes tend to look at things differently than males and to be able to have another perspective, I feel always helps. That answers. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, so we've talked to Tracy and Terry, who have sort of had some things where they can volunteer for or you in terms of these different leadership opportunities. But Patty, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about being on the state committee and then also being a state director um, because those are political appointments. Can you talk a little bit about the appointment process and like were you nominated by someone or did you express interest? How does that work for you? Sure. So it, it was an appointed position. So I was actually appointed through the Obama administration. Um, the, the state committee, uh, a friend of mine came to me, actually, she was the, the president of the Farmers Union, excuse me, the Wisconsin Farmers Union at the time, and she said that they're going to be starting to look for a state committee members, they're going to be political appointments, is this something you're interested in? So I was, I didn't know anything about it before, before that, uh, I really had no idea. Uh, my husband did all of the FSA stuff, um, not all, but for the, for the majority, most of the FSA stuff, he went and certified acres and everything else. So I didn't really have a lot of um, history when it came to FSA, uh, surprisingly. So when a friend of mine came to me and said, you should run for the, uh, for the FSA state committee, I did a little research and um, started asking a lot more questions and found out that it was something that I might really be interested in. Uh, I did a lot of work on the farm bill when it came to writing different farm bills and trying to advocate for different uh, different plans, different programs, and the different farm bills. So I kind of had that kind of history behind me. So, and with the whole political process and the whole appointment process, I started out by by finding somebody to sponsor me, basically. So I I went to our congressman, and uh, he was more than willing um, to help me uh, to sponsor me, basically. Um, I was I got a letter of recommendation from a couple different organizations to sponsor me, and then basically waited. You know, I sent, sent all the information into where I needed to go, um, and then waited. Uh, and the, the waiting process was a very long time for both the state committee and the and the uh, state director position because um, anything in government seems to go really slow. <laughs> it just took a long time to get them appointments through. Um, about a year, I think, by the time they finally, by, from the time the administration started until the time we started, uh, it was February of 2010 before we started our, our committee, uh, state committee appointments. So, but I was the only female, and I was actually kind of sad because I was disheartened, really, because uh, the, the friend of mine that came to me and said you should run for the state committee, they're going to look for a female that they're going to need a female to run for the state committee, and to me, it wasn't. Uh, so much that, you know, like, I don't want to be asked simply because I'm a female. I want to be asked simply because I am the best candidate for the position. So, uh, so I took that to heart for a long time. Like, this isn't, I hope they didn't ask me to run just because I'm a female. So every every decision when it came to the state committee, every decision that I made was, was very much like, 
I'm not answering this as a female. I'm answering this as, you know, Patty Edelberg, farmer, central Wisconsin. And I, I feel like I know the, know the information and I can put an educated response to a lot of the answers. So there's a lot of opportunities out there for women, but women need to step up and, and still be able to, to put forth the best, best effort. And uh, I mean, if I was running against a, a gentleman that was better than me, I would have obviously been like, okay, bummer, I missed it. But you know, it was, I, I'm hoping that I was picked because I was the best candidate, not just because I was a woman, if that makes sense. But uh, so the, the state committee process was, was that, but then when, when our state director position became open, uh, our state director went out to Washington, D.C. and became the deputy administrator for farm programs. So when our position, our state committee position, or state director position came open, um, we talked about it as a state committee and realized that we only had uh, about a year and a half left of the administration. And to bring somebody in uh, and really have to start learning, because a lot of these appointments, like I said earlier, people don't know the history of farmers or of, of FSA. They don't know the programs. They don't know how the offices are run. So in order to get somebody in there for a year and a half and have to educate them and reord, you know, ordinate, um, get them organized and, and oriented with the, with the agency would have been a long process. So I got the backing of our state committee to run, um, I was not the chair of our state, our state committee, but our state committee chair did not want to. So um, well, they pushed me to run. They thought that I would do a good job with it. Um, I got the backing from uh, from those in our state office, uh, the management team, basically. And I asked a lot of questions and said, "Is this something that I can do? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to fail." <laughs> basically, was my response to everybody. Uh, and I had a lot of a lot of support. So. I then started looking for sponsors. Again, uh, as a political process, you need to have somebody uh, that's going to basically sponsor you and help you get through. So I got letters of recommendation from different organizations, from the Wisconsin Farmers Union, from the National Farmers Union. Um, uh, Tammy Baldwin, Senator Baldwin, was also a sponsor for me. Uh, so, and that was that was the process. And again, it was a lot of waiting, a lot of questions, a lot of uh, interviews, and making sure that you're the right candidate for the position. But um, it was it was something that that I would have done over again. You know, hindsight 2020, I still would have done it over again. It was an excellent and an amazing experience, and I really hope that I was able to bring something to the table for for everybody out there. I got a lot of responses from from farmers and from individuals in the countryside saying, you know, as a farmer, you understand what we're going through, and a lot of the political appointments aren't necessarily farmers, um, never have been, and don't necessarily plan on being farmers. So to be a farmer and step up into a role like that, um, you get a lot of respect from the farmers simply because they know that you know what they're going through. And um, you can see see their pain in a lot of the decisions that are made. Uh, so it's it was a very uh, amazing experience. Patty, thanks so much. I What I love most about what you said is, you know, you know, the community of support around you and the network that you really tapped into and what we've heard from a lot of other female farmers who, you know, are interested in running or interested in, interested in just, you know, serving in different positions is, you know, oftentimes they get asked by other folks 
um, you know, to run or to serve. And uh, certainly, you, you, there was a lot of initiative on your part in getting involved and in, uh, in applying and things like that. But just really neat to hear uh, just about the, the network of support that you had around you that you could also tap into um, when the time was right. And I think I think when a lot of farmers, a lot of women want to run for different uh, different committees or boards, I think that takes a lot. I think men seem to be a lot more, you know, brazen and just step forward and run. Uh, a lot of women are, are much more cautious and make sure that they have the right support behind them. So I think you're absolutely right. It takes a lot. It takes a takes a team <laughs> to make everything go. Absolutely. Tracy, do you, uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about, uh, you gave us a little bit of an overview about, you know, the National Organic Standards Board, and, but you also described just different positions that you held um, on the board. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, whether or not you got elected or appointed to those different roles within within the board? You just, how did, how did that happen over the course of your, your five years serving? Yeah, um, the the first initial um, position was an appointment actually by the Secretary of Agriculture. That process, um, you, there is an application you submit, including a security clearance screening. Um, <clears throat> you do submit letters of recommendation. I think my process was maybe a little more unconventional. Many of those that are nominated have congressional support, either from... Uh, state or uh, federal um, congressman. And uh, in my case, uh, I, I was kind of a outsider coming in, um, joining the process. So I actually went to my specific resource space and that was the farmers and ranchers that I've been working with for that sustainable ag nonprofit and gathered um, letters of recommendation from them, as well as some of my consulting clients, including the one that had originally approached me about throwing my hat in the ring. And then I submitted it. It goes through a process from the National Organic Program staff where they basically review the applications. Um, they, um, if you do make a short list, uh, which obviously I did, they conducted a telephone interview, and that was, um, Miles McAvoy, the Deputy Administrator for the National Organic Program, and Mark Lipsom, who was a Special Advisor to the Secretary of Agriculture at the time. And they talked to me a little bit about what the role would be. They asked me questions about my ability to understand technical documents and um, the ability to uh, collaborate and work with others. It was very wide-ranging um, discussion, probably lasted a little over an hour. And then from that, uh, it was just a matter of sort of waiting for the decision. And I had taken it upon myself to go to a National Organic Standards Board meeting that was coming up in the fall, and the appointment was supposed to start the following January, and um, went to that board meeting just to see what it was like. And I introduced myself to Miles there. And um, as I was leaving that meeting, he actually informed me that even though they had not made the official announcement yet that the secretary had approved my appointment. And, um, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of people write letters of recommendation for me, and I had a lot of support from the farmers and ranchers that I'd worked with, but I really was kind of surprised, and that was because I didn't really come at it with um, political support, so to speak. And, um, and I expressed that 
surprise to Miles. And he actually said, well, that was one of the reasons we wanted you is because you sort of came without uh, an agenda and we really need some very objective board members. But once I was on the board, um, the assignments for my subcommittee role actually were made by the board chair. Uh, obviously, the board chair takes input from the committee members, from the board members as to where, what subcommittees they'd like to serve on. But ultimately, the assignment is made by the board chair. And then my I was requested by the board chair as well to act as the subcommittee chair for the livestock subcommittee. So that was an elected position. But the positions for vice chair and chair of the board are elected positions within the board itself. So the 15-member board, um, they uh, are typically approached um, by uh, the executive team of the board asking if they're willing to run. There is some other sort of nomination from the floor as well, but um, that's made within the board itself. Thank you for sharing. Those are some really great insights. Um, you also raised a really good point. Um, I thought it was great that you went to a meeting to observe. And I just wanted to remind producers that, you know, we announce, USDA announces when these meetings of these advisory committees are being held. Uh, and that's one of the things you can keep tabs on. So if you think that you might be interested in serving on one, uh, you can see when they're holding their public meetings and just go to one, uh, one of those open meetings. Uh, it's a really great way to get some insights. And I like that you did that. Yeah, it was My funny. Uh, actually, I remember sitting there in the back of the room thinking, well, I probably won't get appointed and it's probably a good thing because this is um, really complex and complicated and maybe way over my head. And then, you know, an hour later, I'm told I've made the appointment. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. <laughs> well, I'm glad that they did. Um, my next question is for uh, Terry. And I, you shared some really interesting insights uh, and kind of some of your motivations. But I'm curious what advice you would share with female farmers who are interested in getting more involved at the local level, um, like their local agency? Um, I guess one thing that I would share with other females that are thinking about um, getting involved is don't, don't be afraid to step out of your box. Don't be afraid to step out of that comfort zone. Approach, you know, your county office and, and ask, ask more information, ask questions if you know if it's something that you think you'd be interested in. Um, it's, a, it's a very good learning experience and it's a way to really understand and learn how some of the programs can benefit um, other producers, especially programs that maybe you're not familiar with because you don't raise vegetables or you don't have cattle. Um, it's a way to to find out, you know, about the diverse industries in your area so and in it it's a kind of a stepping stone i guess you could say to maybe being involved in other organizations from from being on the county fsa committee um i got or appointed or i guess volunteered because nobody else would do it on our county land conservation committee to be the fsa representative on that committee so 
then being able to work on that committee with some of the people from NRCS when you put, like we put together a 10-year um, plan for like the conservation and water quality standards in our county. So you get to be involved in some of those other committees and find out more information how some of those other processes work. So, and sometimes you may not think that you have a lot of information or input, but you'd be surprised sometimes how, how many other people are really willing to listen to what ideas and perspective you can bring. Thanks. That's, again, really great advice. And we do, and I think Patty and Tracy, you have sort of touched on this too, as that you know, you do, you both have a lot of expertise. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any kind of closing thoughts on what advice you would give to female farmers or women in the agricultural industry um, who are maybe interested in this or why it's important for uh, female farmers and women in ag to consider these roles. Sure, I can take that one first. Um, I just, I think um, Terry said it earlier, women often have uh, a different voice. They come at things in a different direction sometimes, uh, not necessarily not necessarily wrong or better, but just different. And I, I think the more women that are able to speak up and, and educate themselves, uh, they'll be able to educate others through the process. And women don't need to be afraid to step up into these roles. Uh, there's more and more women all the time stepping in. Um, men are accepting much more now than they had you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, women sitting on some of these different roles. Uh, so I think it's it's something that if you're interested, by all means ask uh, ask the county directors. If you're looking at looking into sitting on the county committee, um, the county directors will definitely invite you in to have any conversation you want. Um, ask other farmers, you know, find that network of support and just and run. I think it's a it's something that you will not regret. I think I don't know that I don't know a woman that I've talked to that stepped up into different roles like this that has regretted stepping into the roles. And you know, there's so much of an education process for yourself and for so many other women out there that are interested in running or interested in doing things and interested in leadership of any kind. So uh, I think it's just a these opportunities are invaluable to so many different people, not just yourself. So. Yeah, I I would echo that as well. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that I think is super valuable in a process like being on the National Organic Standards Board is, especially if you're involved in organic agriculture, there is, it's absolutely imperative that we have voices from real operations um, that are engaged in the activities themselves rather than just advocacy groups or industry that aren't looking at it from a necessarily a practical application basis or at least with the same view and the, the things I learned on this board were uh, amazing but not necessarily what I expected to learn I, I obviously learned a lot about the organic regulations about the materials and the process but more importantly, I learned about seeking consensus among various stakeholders, particularly uh, finding consensus uh, when you have divergent views. Uh, as board chair, it was really my job to shepherd the entire board through and facilitate debate and conversation. 
Um, learning how to use influence rather than authority because uh, in a volunteer board, you don't have the right to instruct or demand anybody do anything. And those skills are ones that will stand me in good stead forever, um, whether I stay in organic agriculture or not. And I would not be in the role I am today as director of QAI without my time on that board. It was actually someone in the industry that approached me having seen me serve on the board for five years and said, there's a role opening up. I don't know if you're aware of it, which I wasn't. And they said, we think it'd be perfect for you and you ought to apply. So I've made an amazing network of contacts that have assisted me in my career uh, way beyond what I would have done otherwise. So. Uh, whether you think the job itself is where you want to be and whatever the board or the volunteer role is, just keep in mind that those skills are going to uh, stand you in good stead long, long after you finish your term uh, in whatever volunteer role you, you take. Well, I think you all have given us some really great closing thoughts and you have made very compelling arguments as for why uh, folks should step up and serve and run for these positions, ask other women to run for these positions or nominate themselves. Um, and thank you all so much for sharing. You've really shown us and told us how these, not only are these roles important in your community and to represent other farmers, but also how they create opportunities for personal growth and leadership development. So. Thank you all again so much. And I would encourage all of the women in ag who are out there listening to this to consider running or even asking a friend or a neighbor or another farmer to run for a position and to step into these leadership roles because we really do need your voices and you have the ability to impact programs and policies at the local level all the way to the national level. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to Sarah and Esther for bringing the knowledge from USDA FSA and for bringing together these amazing women for this conversation today. I learned a lot and I think that this is such an important conversation. So really impressed with all of you that are on the line right now and just honestly can't thank you enough for helping out with this and inspiring women in the Women Food and Agriculture Network and women who find out about us through our Plate to Politics program. Um, I really hope that this is going to be a key part of what we're going to be encouraging women in our network to do and I hope that we're going to have a lot more women in our network serving in these roles. So. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Women, Food, and Agriculture Network's Plate to Politics podcast. Our theme music is by Expendable Friend, and the song is Song for Remen. Thank you to our sponsor, Rachel's Network, for making this audio leadership training program available to the women in our network. We hope you'll tune in next time, and until then, please go to wfan.org slash plate2politics for more resources.